Welcome to Melanated Diaries, where your week isn't complete unless we've got you all the way together. A podcast that brings seriousness, love, light, and compassion to topics that impact marginalized communities. Auntie, come sit in this space with us, breathe, focus, and exhale as we embark on this journey of Melanated-related conversations. All right, what's up, podcast listeners? We are back in the building. It's been a minute, but we are a long, long minute. But we are back here today to give you a new episode. So I am Cheryl Ingram, Dr. CI, along with my host, Jeremy J. Edmondson. And today we're going to be talking to you about the various identities that we have as human beings and how we heal them. So I think that this conversation is important to us because as we think about, you know, you hear Jeremy and I talk a lot about intersections and oppression and privilege. And so today we thought it would be a good idea to talk about breaking those down because I think that depending on the identity that you have uh, can change the degree of oppression that you face. And so because of that, there may be different ways that you find to heal those identities when they take different scars or trauma that you feel like you are reminded of the most on a daily basis? If you had to give the top five, what would they be? (laughs) Yeah, it's funny. So this morning I woke up and I was like, look, I need to write down these identities. (laughs) So, (laughs) and I only got three, but uh, definitely identifying as gay, identifying as male, and also just like, I'm not religious and I'm not, and it's not that I don't believe anything. So my spirituality, those, those are the three things that pop out for me as far as my intersecting ident- identities. And when you say intersecting identities, do you, do you keep your like overall identity as the blackness and then the things, other things intersect? Or tell me, how does that work with, for you? Yeah, thank you for that question, actually. So, it's, <laughs> yeah, my blackness is my top priority in any of these because, like I said, for the piece that I talked about, I choreographed, Mellow news, that's what it's about. It's like y'all see our blackness before you see anything else. Yeah. And so, yeah, my blackness and those intersect within my blackness. And then how do I dissect those and say, well, am I privileged here? Am I oppressed here? So juggling that has been a journey for the last couple of weeks, actually, for me. That's deep. And I love that you said that, like, y'all see our blackness first. And even for all of y'all out there talking about, I'm colorblind, I don't see color. <laughs> Yo ass see that I'm black when you look at me. <laughs> right, even if you was colorblind, you can still see I'm darker. <laughs> <laughs> right, so you see it. So, And I think that what the underlying impression of that is, is of course you don't want to judge someone by their race, but that doesn't mean that you don't see their race. So I don't really think that colorblindness when it comes to racial identity is a thing because yeah, you see it. Now, if you choose not to judge somebody by it, that's different. But even then that's not the idea of colorblindness is a topic within itself that we can talk about a whole day. But I think for me, like Jeremy, like my blackness is definitely the thing that I'm reminded of the most, like in my inner circles or lack thereof sometimes when I'm, you know, looking at TV, when I'm reading the news, like Jeremy and I today, I'll give y'all heads up. We're not doing Mela news because it's just been so much in there that has been so overwhelming that we haven't really even had time to sit down and process it. We won't be doing Mellow News today, but we'll have something else for y'all at the end, so don't worry. But I definitely think that my Blackness is like my default. It's my like default identity because it's the thing that I have to advocate for the most. And I, then I think that it's my gender identity 
my spirituality, just like Jeremy, I am not religious, but I am a very spiritual person. I think that my size, when it comes to my physical appearance, and I think that my education, because it's often, also often the thing I have to defend to remind people that I have it. I have a question. Do you feel like, feel like your blackness, so how we advocate for our blackness, does that help advocate for our other identities easier or? I do because I think that every identity I have is so interrelated and interconnected to my blackness, right? Like, because if you think about my gender identity, I'm a woman, but I'm a black woman. Mm. If you think about my education, I'm educated, but I'm black and educated. Like, and because there's an oppression for every lane of my blackness, even within my intersections, it, it, it always impacts that. What nice. about you? For me, I, well, y'all might not know, but Cheryl definitely knows, like, I put my life in departments. Like, I'm like, no, this is strictly this and nothing else. <laughs> like, don't bother it. I don't really like mixing things, uh, friends, whatever. So for me, I'm not really in the LGBT. Well, I just added a whole new, another letter. LGB, LGBTQIA community. Get it together. That's how you know I haven't been in that community. I really don't even uh, put myself in that community right now. I that I was advocating for that when I was a high schooler and I came out as gay. I don't like saying came out, but whatever, that's the term. I came out as gay and I came here in 2010, Las Cruces, New Mexico. People were in my inboxes, you know, saying stuff. I was like always arguing. That's when we we're like fighting for gay marriage. And I just got really tired and I was like, yeah, I can't do this anymore. So I had deleted my Facebook before <laughs> and I had to get it again for some other reason. And when I started really acknowledging my blackness, then I was back into, I was back into the gay community or that community. And I noticed how racist they were. So I was like, like, I can't do this in this community and in my own personal life. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? Like, for example, I'll give you guys examples. Uh, I had, I was doing my lit review and I realized how much people fetishize or sexualization of black women. And I was like, oh wait, I'm black. So I wonder if people are doing that to me. Like I know people do it to black men too. Like, oh, do you have big dicks? Blah, 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 blah. You know? Mm -hmm. And I was like, but y'all don't. Listen. <laughs> but, <laughs> <laughs> Woo! <laughs> but she's not lying. Um, so, you know, I was talking to people and they're like, oh, what are you looking for? I was like, well, I'm just, now I'm realizing that I'm trying to make sure whoever I'm having a conversation with, that they're not fetishizing over me. Three people mm. told me, three people told me good luck. And I was mm. like, oh, so this is happening. Mm. I think that like you make a really great transition as we talk about healing, right? Because it sounds like even within that community that is a piece of your intersection, you have had scars. But I do want to, I want you to clarify what you mean by in that community, because I know that some of y'all will hear that and think that because Jeremy differentiates that, that he's saying that he's not like, it's not like he's denying the LGBTQness in him. Like he's always that, you know, but it's like, if he's not involved in that community, I want you to explain to them what that means, because I think that people can hear that and take it the wrong way. Yes. Sorry. So I just want to make sure I got your question. Like explain why I'm not in that community or no, like what that means, like how when you say you're not in that community, right? What does so, that mean? Oh yeah, definitely. So I don't, I don't go to events. That's what I mean. I'm not physically in that community, but I will definitely always fight for rights. So that's what I mean. Yeah, I don't go to sweet events. Like I have people like, oh, let's go to this, and I'm like, is it a gay event? They're like, yeah. I'm like, not going. Like <laughs> I'm not going to that. I, just, I don't mm. want to because I don't have to be there. Me going to events to have fun doesn't mean that I support, right? Mm, so that's right. 
I can support in different ways in which I do. Yeah, yeah. And see, I, I think that you make a really great transition into the healing piece because earlier you talked about like your top three to five identities that you are reminded of on a daily basis. I would love for you to pick maybe one for now or one or two and talk about like the different kind of scars that you take when it comes mm -hmm. to those identities and how the healing that you practices that you have might differentiate between those two. Definitely. So I'll just talk about being gay and also identifying as cisgendered male or as just male. So the as far as male, I'm taking a lot of hits because I'm realizing more and more what my calling is here on earth and what my business is definitely geared towards African-American women. And I realized that when I gave three talks in El Paso Community College last week and realizing like that's my calling. But, and I know that black females will support me because <laughs> y'all have always done it, but I also don't want to, I don't want to make black females my platform and ride off their backs. It's like, oh, mm -hmm. look what I'm doing. Even though I'm black, I'm still male, which gives me privilege over y'all mm -hmm. or can give me privilege. So like, mm -hmm. I don't want to be like, oh yeah, look at me. Like I'm saving black women, you know? Mm -hmm. <laughs> I'm like, no, I'm just a platform. I'm, I want to be their platform. I don't want them to be my platform. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's like the difference between being an ally for black women versus an accomplice for black women, right? Like where you are, I think is more in the space of an accomplice because it's like delving, delving into the action and making sure that you provide a platform that shows the work and helps to uplift. Whereas sometimes allies make the mistake of saying, I'm going to sometimes, they don't mean to, but speak for you in this space and then use my voice to uplift your voice instead of just creating a space for your own voice or for someone else's voice. And so I think that you are, you're speaking from a perspective of accomplishness versus allyship. My other identity being gay will link to that because it's not that I'm trying to tell black men or African-American men like, hey, y'all are wrong. <laughs> but at the same time, I'm like, y'all need to pay attention. Like this stuff's still going on. The erasure of blackness, but the erasure of black females and especially the erasure of black ghetto youth. It's like irritating me to the max because I'm like just realizing how much we're even telling their stories. So mm -hmm. as everyone knows, like I'm a dancer and I'm looking at hip hop dance and I'm like, okay, this is cool. Like it's one thing when we're dancing and it's another one we're emulating cool pose, which is like the hardcore African-American men, you know, these mean bugs, because that was their way of uh, dealing with oppression and being marginalized. So, but I'm noticing how that's in the hip hop dance world. I'm like, okay, but that's not our lifestyle. Like, do we really have to make those facial expressions? Do we really have to dress like that? Do we really have to emulate these people's lifestyles or can we just dance hip hop? I think that you said something that really really stuck out to me when we talked about how we use our expression in order to fight against oppression. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, we do do that in so mm -hmm. many ways, just in our physical bodies, our minds, our souls, etc. And I think that, you know, so Jeremy brought up, you brought up something I didn't even think about, which is that even something as simple as an expression in a picture. Like, I remember I used to get really pissed off because my nephew would always flick people off in pictures. And I was like, why are you guys putting your middle finger up? Like, that's not smart, whatever. And then I thought about it and I was like, hold up. That's expression. Like he's saying, fuck the world that is oppressing him. You know, so I think that it's important for us to remember the little ways, the big and little ways in which we do that and how shunned that can be. I think that you, um, you talk to us about how you heal in those two spaces. I have to bring in my spiritual part then. Of course. Yes. Bring it. Bring it. I am opening the door and holding it for you. Come on in spirituality. Yes. So once again, I, I, I departmentalize those parts of me. 
So <laughs> and it's interesting because everything is connected, right? Like once you get on this spiritual, you know, or religious, whatever path you're on, and you're like, oh, it all really is connected. So me, I did me healing as an African American male is when I talk to African American women. Like that's just how I heal. I mean, it's such a, it's a it's a mothering thing, right? So it doesn't have to be my mom, but there is this nurture that women in general have, but it's just something about black women. They heal the world. They've been taught to heal the world um, and forced <laughs> sometimes. So definitely when I talk to African-American women, and I'm not gonna lie, so Alexis Anderson Chavez, she worked at FS Community College. She's African-American female. And she, you know she went to all three of my talks and she's like, I just wanna say thank you so much that you, that you're such a, you know, advocate for us. And that, I don't care, like, I'm not gonna, that pumps up my ego in a good way. I'm like, good. Like, I'm glad I'm doing something. Like, at least I'm not making up stories up here. So that spiritual talk, those spiritual talks heal me. My male being cisgendered. Mm -hmm. My gayness will link to my love life. So spirituality and that is a whole different thing because I've always prayed to God and the universe. And I just say that is white to me because we've I've always been shown the image of God as a white male. So mm. I'm not going to say like, oh, yeah, he's black. I mean, yes, I think history is very true in that statement. But my image doesn't change because I've been seeing that image all my life. Yeah. You know? So when I found out about the seven Orishas, which is these African powers, is how I started bringing in my black, my blackness of spirituality. Let's mm, see and how to heal that and that they each have these different roles in our lives of you know clearing things out our love life our family so i've been meditating meditating is a very important thing in a way i heal and how like i'm interested in when you started praying differently to different de deities how did that change uh, the outcome of your healing like if or if it did at all yeah it did <laughs> it just it brought me this safe i felt really safe but mm -hmm. not protected, but safe, like, yeah, you're on the right path because now you're carrying out your ancestors' wildest dreams. Mm. Is what I, that was the feeling I got. Cause you know, and you and I show, we've discussed this, like sometimes we're like, you know what? Like, I think I'm kind of done doing this work, <laughs> you know, cause it gets draining. Yes. <laughs> so, you know, I mean, we talked about that like last month, we we're like, look, <laughs> I don't know if I can keep doing this, you know? And luckily, yeah. you know, we always, you know, tell each other, like, no, we got this, we got this. But having those powers that have, they look like me, you mm -hmm. know, that helps. I'm like, oh, yeah, I am on the right path. And then, you know, you get these this clarity from the universe or from those powers, just little signs, you know, and you and I are big on numbers. We're always like, hey, we saw this number today. Hey, this number keeps popping up. Yes. So, yeah, that's how that spirituality shows up in my life. Yeah, I, I, I'm vibing with everything that you're saying, especially when it comes to race, because, you know, I grew up Jehovah's Witness. I slowly but surely in college found a different path. And then throughout college, I think even more so after I graduated from college, I started to delve more into spirituality because I didn't feel like, like I was at home or safe in Christianity or and being in Jehovah's Witnesses. Like it was just something about it that didn't fulfill my soul. And when I found my way to spirituality, that started to change because spirituality made me look at my identities differently. Like with my blackness, it made me think about where I come from and the mm -hmm. origins of that differently. Uh, it made me think more critically about those things. It woke me, I got woke, right? When it came to my blackness, because I think that we, we experience wokeness differently depending on our identities as well. 
And so, like, I guess this would be religion. Well, spirituality being one of those religions, I think that spirituality has taught me to heal differently. Because before I would also go to the gym and, like, just beat the hell out of a bag or the gym, at the gym or lift some weights or go running. And I think the spirituality actually made me take a step back and say, what's in your body that you need to release? It caused me to redefine the way that I started healing because of spirituality, because it made me look more inward about what I needed to release as opposed to just releasing stress. It made me think about the root of where those things come from. And I think as far as my blackness, like spirituality has helped me to heal in my blackness because this is hard for me to say to y'all, but it made me love my blackness a lot more. Like I remember when I would, and I say this because my lens changed. Like, you know, I'm from the hood, y'all. And when I grew up and I went to college, I started to think about the hood a little bit differently and not in a very positive way. It was like, nobody wants to go back to the hood, right? Mm -hmm. Like, and live in a poor life. And I think spirituality made me see the cultural richness in my people. And that was in me, right? It made me realize just how beautiful being black is. And so like, you know, things that happen in the hood, it's a fight at the club. Sometimes there's a fight at the club and like, when I used to see that, I'd be like, oh, these niggas are so ignorant, <laughs> right? And now, when I see those things on the news and such, I'm like, look at the position the world has put us in. Like, look, about, look at how much self-hate it has taught us. And so spirituality made me think about my blackness differently, which made me love my blackness more, which within itself caused me to start to heal from the scars that I had taken about the negativity that was perpetuated to me about being black. And so I think that those things have like really, really changed spirituality when it comes to my blackness and my and just spirituality itself have been pieces of my identity that have taught me how to heal differently, which, you know, relates to my gender identity, being an over sexualized black woman. Um, it made me love my body more and appreciate, you know, my curves and things like that. And it made me get up and appreciate those every day. Like I never used to get up every day and be like, oh, hey, gorgeous. You know, look in the mirror and be like, hey, gorgeous, or be cleaning myself up at night, putting my oils on, being like, damn, I'm beautiful. But now I say those things every day. Mm. And spirituality really helped to lead me to that. That's beautiful. Uh, <laughs> I'm to it. <laughs> <laughs> I guess my next question is, when you think about how healing has happened for you in your body, in what ways overall has that changed the way that you see the world or even experienced your presence in the world? And you could even talk about it like in the different identities. Yeah, um, actually, when you said something, it really stuck out to me uh, because it's been weighing pretty heavy on me, is that I just talked to my mom last week and we were, I don't know how we got on the subject about where we, we used to live. And she was saying that, she's like, we never lived like in the ghetto. I was like, yeah, we did one time. Like you moved us to the ghetto because you were dating this man. I don't know why. Ooh. We're living in a condo, you know. Call like, her out. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, hold up. Yes, she did. And whole living situation changed. Like, I don't mean this, but like, really, like, from riches to rags. I like, supposed to be from rags to riches is what it was called. But I was like, why did we downgrade? You know, and back then, like, I was a child, so I didn't see it like that. But as I got older, I was like, oh. And like you said, you, you say those things like, nobody wants to go back to the hood. Nobody wants to do that. And I did. I deleted that part. One, we're taught that. I mean, ATL was like the perfect example of that, right? Yeah. Lauren London, when she was like pretending, you know, like how we pretend, you know, or like I never lived in the ghetto, even though she was doing reverse. But I always wanted to be like that never existed. That part of me never existed. Yeah. Like I said, right now, I'm really diving to hip hop and I'm really realizing like what it's about, you know, um, 
And speaking of the word woke, hippie comes from the Wolof language, which means to open one's eyes. It was when you said that, I was just getting all these things. And I have noticed my advantages or my privileges within my intersectionality, like you said, with education. And sometimes it weighs heavy on me because I'm like, I see where I'm at in the world. But if I didn't have these degrees, would I still be taken serious and would people still be listening to me? Because yes. I am I am shining a light on a community that still exists and people act like it doesn't. Black ghetto youth still exist, you know? And if you want to do the history, y'all look up redlining and that's why it's there. But that's yes. a whole other subject, you know? So really realizing where I'm at, Cheryl, is like, that's been hard. I'm like, the same thing with the black females, but I have black females here, so I know that I can give them that platform. I don't have someone who's, and I don't like using the word ghetto. So every time I'm saying that, y'all, I'm doing quotation marks because I don't really like that word. But I don't have someone here to really tell those full stories. As far as like, I said, I lived in the hood, but I didn't live in there very long. Mm-hmm. Like, I saw one person get jumped. I think I got in two fights. Like, that's all I got under my belt as far as living, you know, in Las, <laughs> Las Vegas, Nevada, when that's a lifestyle for someone every day. And mm-hmm. I'm like, I, so how do I reach out to these communities and give them a platform like, hey, I need you to speak on this. Like I'm doing the research for whiteness pretty much. Mm-hmm. Like, look at me, I have statistics and these are the numbers, you know? But I'm like, there's something when it's raw. I don't like numbers. Like, no, this is a story. This is someone's real life. Y'all want statistics and I'm not giving that to y'all, you know? So that's where I'm at right now, <laughs> like in the world. Like that has gave me such a huge lens. Like, damn, I'm actually really privileged. Even right now, I live in Sonoma Ranch, which is considered the rich part of Las Cruces. Yeah. And I think that you said something that really resonates with me, like when you talk about the word ghetto. And I think that, you know, ghettos did not originate in the hoods of America. It started with Jewish people being put in the slums. I get that. And then within America, ghettos have now become a place that is heavily populated by people of color, especially Black or Latinos or Latinx, and women and children especially. And I think that one of the things that we tend to see when we hear the word ghetto is we place a negative connotation on it. And I think that that negative connotation is rooted in whiteness because when you think about who lives there, you put a certain stereotype on those communities. And it, you know, it made me, like when I talked earlier about spirituality, making me realize the beauty that came in the ghetto. Like I was born and raised in the ghetto, and it made me who I am. Like there are so many beautiful things about our communities that came together to help raise us, you know, to help help us understand and love ourselves. And the world started to teach us differently, like on television, et cetera. And so now when I go back home and I look at those things, there's a sense of pride. Um, even though there is also a, a sense of survivor's remorse, um, as well as a sense of knowing that I can't do this work without giving back to it, right? Because, you know, like you said earlier, beautifully, Jeremy, you said, I am my ancestors' wildest dreams. And I know that, you know, they, when they see us and they see the gifts that they've given us, they think about how we make sure that we create pathways for others. But not to go off on a tangent, but I just want to be mindful of the fact that, you know, when we say the word ghetto, I want us to remember that the root of it is not all bad. The context of it is not all bad. What you, The way that you created it, white society, is bad. But the things that live within it are beautiful. Nice. Curious where your lens is at as identifying just as female. You know, when you said that, I got a heavy feeling in the bottom of my stomach. <laughs> and a couple of reasons. Because when I identify as a woman, I've taken two hits. Because I'm Black and I'm a woman. And within the lens of my identity as being a woman... I see our position in the world as women is still at a lower stature that didn't come from us. Like men in society have perpetuated women as a weaker sex. Religion itself does that, right? Depending on how you interpret it. 
And so for me, like when I think about women, I think about pay equity that happens in the workplace. And then my blackness comes into it and I'm paid lower than Asian and white women, you know? And so like as my perspective in the world, I think has changed because I don't think that all women have all of the same oppressions. Some of our oppressions are similar and some of them are not just like our privileges. And so I think my positionality there is from a place of advocacy and allyship as a woman. Because as a woman, I'm advocating for other I'm advocating for other women because I have that identity. Mm-hmm. But also as a black woman, I'm also black, I'm also advocating for black women within the identity of being a woman. And then I think as an accomplice, I think about Latinx, Native American women, white women, et cetera. I'm here creating a platform that empowers all women, um, but with a specific lens for me into blackness. But I'm creating a space for others to come forward and do the same. Yes. And so I think that that's my lens as a, right now as a woman. I have another question. So when you're healing that part of you, and maybe it's just my bias, because like I said, I'm all for African-American women, but do you feel as though, so even when you're healing black women, do you feel like you're also healing black men? And does that put even more of a separation or more of a gap? It does. Um, that's a very powerful question for me because as a black woman, there are a lot of ways in which I had to heal. Like one was loving the shape of my body. One was loving my skin, my hair, my bass and my voice, the way that I speak, um, my attitude, my personality, like certain things that come with that. I had to learn to love differently. I had to learn actually to fall in love with period. And I think that part of the wounds that came from having to fall in love with that did come from black men. Mm. And so I think that there was a perpetuation of self-hate that they are taught that when they look at us, they see in us, right? But it's also, it makes me think about like your bodies, like the black male bodies and what it is that they go through and how interrelated some of our struggles are, but how sometimes a black man also can reinforce the oppression of black women. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, you see it in even church. When you go to church, the preacher's wife has to sit behind him or in the pulpit. Like she doesn't get to sit side by side with him. You know what I'm saying? Like, and that's not the way the church doesn't always perpetuate them as equals. She is there to serve him. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? And so it's like this idea of walking behind me and not beside me when we know that it should be equal. And so I do see myself in black men when I think about my blackness in the intersections that I have, because some of them have also been perpetuators of the harm that has happened to me. What about you? Like, when you think, well, you talked a little bit about dating already. And I remember you said this multiple times, how you actually don't prefer to date black men in the gay community. Why? And I know you talked about how some of that is based because there are just not enough around you because you live in Las Cruces, New Mexico. Pickens is slim. But are, what, what <laughs> y'all should see Jeremy's face right now. But are there other things that, like, as I'm talking about healing and our identities and our blackness, how does that interrelate to your experiences with black men in the gay community? Yeah, two years ago, I don't even know when it was, but I went to St. Louis uh, for my twin, Luther Hughes. And he, I mean, there's like, he just had all black friends, you know, and like they were gay and I was like, oh shit, maybe I do miss this. And I didn't realize it, you know, cause in Seattle, like or Renton, Washington, you know, that's where we grew up together. And it was nice being around that. And, you know, you just grow accustomed to when you move. And I just, I've been in Las Cruces for now nine years. A lot of it plays into it. I often ask myself that I'm like, would I date a black person? It's not that I wouldn't date a black person. I get it. That's a bad habit that I say I won't do it because <laughs> I will. I prefer not to just because I like the mixing of cultures. I really do. 
if there's something about it that I, I just like. But then I also wonder, going back to spirituality, I've been healing a, I've been healing a lot of my family trauma. Mm. Um, Cheryl and I both did the DNA ancestry DNA test. We will talk to y'all about that. Not today, but we'll talk to y'all about that and how we feel. I'm white. Just kidding. Um, <laughs> <laughs> more white than I am. <laughs> I am. And so, but <laughs> healing that I haven't healed that part yet, you know. But things have popped up. But healing, you know, the stories that my mom had told me about my dad, and you don't realize, and I don't think parents realize this either. So I'm not pointing a finger, but I invite everyone to be mindful when you're talking to your youth and when you're talking to your, you know, especially your own kids about past family, realize that they're going to take that image mm. and you don't know what they're going to do with that. So my mom told me about my dad and I met him finally when I was 15. You know, she told me he was abusive and the stories go on. And even though I didn't have hate for him, I knew I forgave him when I met him. I think I really start, I know that I really started having hate for black men, especially all the men that my mom has been with, besides the one now, Bill Ross, my dad, who has raised me, he's white. Everybody else has been black and has literally whooped her ass. Mm. One, I think I started hating myself as a man or as a boy. Because I'll tell you, I mean, not that I didn't want to be a guy, but I actually didn't want to be a boy after a while. I'm fine being a male now. I love having a penis. So. Hey. But, <laughs> Before, honestly, I was like, I don't even think I like being a guy, a black mm -hmm. man at that, you know? And I remember not liking being dark-skinned. So, yeah. Um, and then I think that transferred over to why I really didn't like black men anymore. Because even when I did date black, the, guy, the black men that I did date were all light-skinned. That's powerful. Like, I think that that's also just powerful within your own consciousness to start to admit that that is happening. Like, for me, I think that... I. I have it tattooed on my wrist and I'm a firm believer that heal people, heal people, mm -hmm. right? Just like hurt people, hurt people. And like, I think that spirituality for me being black and being a woman and being poor at one time in my life in poverty caused me a deep amount of empathy for people who go through that when they act out. Mm -hmm. So like, even when I'm dating, um, I try to take the lens now because I used to be an asshole to date y'all. Um, and sometimes I still am, but me not trip. But I, I have very little tolerance for people who would piss me off um, or do something that I didn't approve of. And I think that consciousness helped me to understand the pain in a human being's body and what it was like to accept that, but not to fix them, right? Because I think that accepting people for who they are can sometimes help them lead to a place of healing and awareness instead of just backing away from them and walking away and wiping my hands free of it, which is what I used to do. But now I've become a more patient person. Like, I know I'm not there to heal someone. That's not my job, right? That's not what I'm saying. But I'm saying, like, that understanding and creating that space for people to express their pain without me taking it personal has improved the way that my relationships last. Yeah. And I think along with that is boundaries, right? With spirituality. Sho yeah. um, and I talk about a lot that how we don't like to, you know, we, we choose to hug certain people because there is this exchange of energy, you know, or even, I mean, FaceTiming with someone is an exchange of energy, especially through technology, you know, bringing in science and, you know, spirituality. But I recently read that, and I loved it because it changed my lens, even for my spiritual, my spiritual um, identity, that usually when we hear boundaries, we think we put up a stop sign, like, nope, nope, you know. But the quote said, boundaries are invitations. Mm. And that made me realize, like, oh, okay, if I do put a boundary here, I'm inviting them to come closer, you know? Yeah. Actually, my mom gave me this book that was, I think was called Boundaries or something, and it talks about if you think about, so if Cheryl, if I had a huge mansion, 
or show had a huge mansion, you know. I'm Someday. Black. I'm <laughs> just kidding you. Black female. <laughs> <laughs> no, but show has a mansion and all this, all this land. And she's like, hey, I need you to house sit for me. I'm like, okay. And she never tells me where her land ends. Mm. And, and then a intruder comes and I shoot. I don't like you. Okay, but I kill this person, How? right? <laughs> and he never trespassed because mm. she never told me where the boundaries were on her property. That's powerful. Because you think about it, when we look at houses or commute or you know uh, community houses or apartments, you know if you could, there's a gate, you know what I mean, or mm -hmm. there's a you can tell where the boundary is. So that resonated with me when you were saying that. That's why. Yeah. But. That's right. Like, you know, I don't just hug anybody. I turn into Bobby Boucher real quick. And I, Mama said, I can't hug you because you devil. Yeah, no. <laughs> I'm just kidding. No, I'm not. There are some people I'm like, nah, you know how you see that person and you feel it in your soul like something is not quite right. I, I do think that it is important to establish boundaries. And I love, love that metaphor that you gave about, I'm going to use that about being house-sitting for me and knowing where my property ends so that you don't make mistakes. Mm -hmm. And I think that in our healing process, nothing is more important than boundaries. And like, you know, for so the smallest things, like when I'm meditating, I put my phone on do not disturb. Mm -hmm. That's a boundary for me. Or if I'm with a certain group of people and I'm not feeling that energy, I leave. You know, and I'm not making no excuses. Like, oh, I like the energy I'm about. You know, I'm just, <laughs> I think that, that has been very key to me healing. Like I left Seattle, y'all live in LA now because I couldn't take the absence of diversity daily in my life. And I knew that I needed to create some space for that to come in. And I couldn't do that the way I wanted to in Seattle. And that was part of my healing, right? It was my, my awareness environment, which is a part of my identity. It's a part of my diversity is my geographical location. And so I think that it was, that just reminded me of how important those things are that we don't think about daily. Uh, I want to share with our uh, audience or our listeners, how do you think we work so well together with our different intersections? I mean, we're not like polar opposites, but we are kind of like opposites, you know, because I, I, you know, our com one of our common grounds definitely is our blackness and spirituality. I think how do, how do we create safe spaces for each other and within those identities, maybe? I think that our safe spaces first began, Jeremy, and I don't know if this is going to make sense, is with our vulnerability. Like our willingness to be vulnerable with other, one another helped us to create an understanding of our needs, mm. right? And I think that because of our commonalities, like there are definitely some things that bring us together, our blackness and our experiences and our advocacy and our allyship within that space. But I also think that you and I have taken the time to really get to know one another and understand the needs of one another um, on a spiritual emotional and what's the other word a mental level i won't say physical y'all be like oh you fucking jamie <laughs> no 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 i'm not that's not what i'm saying the physical space has really helped our relationship grow very close what do you think yeah you said two things you said the vulnerability and from my life coaching class that i took with joshua rex him and one of his best friends have a saying and they said i will listen to you as the friend you are or i'll listen to you as the person you are today Mm. And so going off that, I won't go into like a uh, actual s detailed story, but, s you know, sometimes like if I'm having a bad rough day or a rough week and our show is, and by the time we talk to each other, you know, sometimes we could feel like our energy is off and one of us just break down crying and we're like, oh, you know, <laughs> but we listen to each other in that space. But also in that life coaching class, it talks about 
in your community, whatever that means. So Cheryl and I are community. It's two of us, you know. Yeah. But actively listening to each other creates community because then you know what is wanted and needed. Yeah. I love that. And I think that, you know, my tool for the day is exactly what Jeremy said. Like, if you want to heal and get to know yourself or somebody else, you have to be willing to or really engulf yourself in who they are without judgment. And that's the hard part is you have to make sure that you drop the expectations that you have of yourself on somebody else. You cannot do that to somebody if you want to love them authentically, right? Because authenticity doesn't mean the way that you think they should show up. And so like whether you are a person who is not in a diverse community, but you want to support people who come from racially diverse communities, for example, then you need to go and go for yourself in that community. And I think that vulnerability comes with the willingness to humbly make mistakes and apologize when you do. Because Jeremy and I have made mistakes. You know what I'm saying? Like we have our moments, but there is because we've been so immersed in one another we can create a space to be like, okay, I'm going to take a step back. I'm tripping. And I think that that is my tool for y'all. Instead of Melanie's, I'm giving y'all a tool is to be willing to do that humbly and patiently and not just with other people, but within yourself. If you're going to immerse yourself in who you are, no matter what your identities are, you have to be willing to accept the mistakes that you've made within those identities and move on. You know, you correct them by moving on. No, nobody ever fixed a mistake by standing in the same space that you made it consistently. You have to step outside of it first to see what happened and then go back and fix it. And so I would just say and accept who you are and love who you are, even if it's not the person that you thought you should be, because usually the person that we think we should be doesn't come from us. Mm-hmm. Somebody else told us that you need to be that. That's my tool for y'all for the day. What's yours, Jeremy? Yes, nice. That was a that's a that was a big tool. <laughs> that's a, that a big hammer. Power drill. <laughs> yeah, my tool would definitely be actively listening once again. Mm-hmm. But when I say that, I don't mean the thing that we hear about just putting your phone down and looking at this person in the eyes. I also always invite you to actively listen to yourself. Right. So if that person you're speaking to says something and it does something to you inside, you need to ask yourself why mm-hmm. and not question them. Like, why did that bother you? Right. And also know that you can't. I've said this before, I think, but you can't tell someone how to love or live. You get to see where they are and choose if you want to participate. Mm-hmm. And if you're going to actually participate, participation requires you to do the work. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. It's just like I have dance students. I'm like, no, you, you coming to class is not participating. That's just you coming to class. Participating mm-hmm. is you dancing. Yeah, participation requires concentration and engagement. I, I love that. I love that, like, to actively participate in listening to yourself and to somebody else. And those are our tools for y'all today. So some days, we, you know, we'll have tools for y'all. Some days we'll do Mela News, but I think we should be transparent about why we didn't do Mela News for y'all this week. And I think that, for me, these last two weeks have been very heavy spaces. And so it was hard for me to get online and look up uh, articles because I was having anxiety and just I had to take care of myself and I couldn't do it this week. And I didn't want to talk about it. So, you know, Jeremy, I'll let you tell yours. But I was really feeling the fact that I was like, I can't really talk about that this week. Yeah, I um, I agree. Cheryl and I usually say we're linked. <laughs> I think we really are. I've been really distant from technology. I mean, also I've been getting that clarity to do that. But I've also have chosen to really not be active 
on media as far as like looking for these stories. And as show said, it, it, it gets heavy. And I didn't realize that until one day I, I sent show like 10 stories and she was like, look, Jeremy. <laughs> like, I know you're just trying to help, but I can't keep looking at this. That was when I had to actively listen. Because at first I was like, wait, she don't want my stories? And I was like, wait, no, Jeremy. Well, she's just telling you, like, she's also telling you, like, you probably shouldn't be looking at this this much either. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I've just, I've had to distance. We, her and I both know that it's going on. I, when I say it's not going where, it's because we're still fighting the fight, right? But right. just chose not to, I, yeah, I couldn't. <laughs> I couldn't. I was like, Jeremy, I'm drowning. I just cannot. Because, <laughs> um, you know, y'all know we work, Jeremy and I both work in spaces where we deal with issues around diversity, equity, and inclusion every day. And so, you know, we're immersed in it 24-7. And you go to sleep thinking about that shit. You wake up thinking about it. And I think that part of my healing for that has been to create space where I can distance myself from it sometimes and just take care of me for a second because I can't show up and heal the world if I'm not healed you know, or help to do my part in healing the world. Cause it's not like it's my sole job, but it's a, it's a piece of a job I'm taking responsibility for. Actually, you said something um, about, you know, the disconnection. And I, I don't want people to think that Shell and I are like these walking Buddhists and like spirituality or meditation is our only way. I encourage and I invite everyone to find that one thing that disconnects you. So yeah. mine is definitely watching, uh, YouTube videos. Or, <laughs> I, I mean, like silly things, you know, we need that. I think everyone still needs that because then that becomes a job and I don't want to make my spirituality a job. Yes. That's so beautiful. That's so important for you to say. Like, I also love to watch cartoons, y'all. I will still watch a cartoon to this day to help me get out of a funky headspace, you know, but I really, really appreciate that you said that. All right. I think that is it for us this week. With that being said, please make sure that you go and follow us on Instagram, on Twitter, and on Facebook. We are under the same name, Melanated Diaries. On Twitter, we are Melanated D. Yes. So go on there and let us know what you think about the show, what topics you'd like for us to discuss. And one of these days, we're going to have a poll up there for y'all. Y'all work with us. We be busy, but we're going to find time. And I invite y'all, like... And I know I have some listeners out there who are not black. When we're writing those questions on the media, like, no, literally, right in the comments. Like, those are serious. I think you all think they're, like, rhetorical questions. You think that we're asking ourselves. We're really asking y'all because that's this is how we're going to get better content. That's how we're going to get better at this. So please give us your experiences. Even if you're not black, if you're like, hey, I have this friend and this experience, you know, whatever the case may be, like, these experiences, especially this one we wrote, you know, like, how do you heal? We all have intersectionality. And one of the goals for some people with intersectionality is to find that common ground, right? We know that's what we're trying to be. So let us know. Yes. And that is it. I am Dr. C.I. along with Jeremy J. Edmondson. And thank you for joining us today in our Melanated Related Conversation. This episode will be up soon. Make sure you tune in and subscribe to our channel. We are up on iTunes. We're on Buzzsprout. And we are also on SoundCloud. So y'all come check us out, Melanated Diaries. We here to stay. Love y'all. Good night. Good night. Thank you for tuning in to Melanated Diaries, a space where we get together to get you all the way together. Come vibe with us next week as we reflect on a new topic. I'm Cheryl. And I'm Jeremy. Love y'all. Hunty, good day.